A Voice Spoke to Me at Night by Helen McClory. I don't know why I did it. I live in a new build above a Tesco metro. This part of town seems to be historyless. And I think before they built the flats, there was an auto garage. And before that, I don't know, um, maybe something in Brownfield? But the voice that spoke to me was from someone from years and years in the past. I guessed, because I didn't fully understand it. I read a bit of Chaucer in school, and it reminded me of that. A little bit gibberish, and some I could get. The voice had a Scottish character to it, though not like any dialect I could pick out. On the first night, and for two nights after, it was just a voice. I went to bed at the normal time for me, which is about ten, and took my phone into bed and scrolled through the news and some football sites I like, and Twitter, until I was too tired to read straight, and then listened to a podcast about a crime, and then one about food, to calm me down. I like to be cosy with all the blankets around me, especially my feet, because I have a terrible fear that something will come and drag me by the ankles if I leave them exposed. This and the mirrored sliding doors of my built-in wardrobe are two things which unsettle me when I'm trying to sleep. I never liked the empty space of the mirrors taking up so much of my room, even before this happened. Now I can't stop thinking of them. Everything a mirror is, and everything it isn't. I'm trying to be honest here. I'm not a brave type. I just put down my phone and got into the position I find comfy in bed, left-hand side, curled up, pillow against my stomach, when the voice said something, garbled old language coming across a distance. I held my mouth shut so I wouldn't yell, but of course I knew it could have come from anywhere, that voice, the likely culprit being my phone, which I might have left in the bed and rolled over, setting off some video. I put the light on and found my phone. It was on silent. But the voice had also stopped. I didn't think anything too much of it, and I had lots of reasons to soothe myself with. If not the phone, then the downstairs, or next door the neighbour's TV, echoing through the walls as they watched some documentary about the ancient past. After a while of thinking, I slept, and then woke up. I went about my day, fine enough. I had a meeting with my boss, but it was okay. He doesn't think much of me. He doesn't hate me either, since I do what needs doing and I don't complain. If I don't join in the workplace bonding, chatting about the telly and politics and that, then that's all you can hold against me. And it's not enough to make him want to let me go, I tell myself. I went home at the usual time and tried to wait out the usual unpleasant feelings that I get from meetings with my boss. I just ate toast for dinner. Sometimes toast is the limit. I went to bed and decided to read, but I got distracted from my book and picked up my phone and looked at Tinder, but only because I wanted to look at some faces, not to make any decisions. I went to sleep and this time the voice woke me up, clearer and closer. I should say it was a man's voice, slightly gruff and raspy, like he smoked. But I'm pretty sure the time he's supposed to be from, they didn't have tobacco. That was Francis Drake. Tobacco and the potato. The voice didn't sound urgent, I thought. But you can't always read tone in a voice that you don't expect, coming out of nowhere in the middle of the night, and barely in your language. I checked my phone... I turned all the lights in place on. There was nothing. The voice continued for a while, so I decided with a bit of effort it was either the neighbours, or maybe, maybe a spy, whose equipment had malfunctioned and now their bug in my place was throwing back the sound of him, talking while reading out a very old story or an old-time Scots, because he was bored. 
I quite like that idea, and wished him well, that spy, if he was so low down on the list of spy employees that his job was spying on me. Eventually I slept. When I woke up, it decided to become autumn overnight. I don't like autumn, because it does the usual and makes me a bit sad without specific reasons, just when I'm trying my best. When it comes, I know the year is getting old, and soon it'll be over, another year, and I don't have any particular thoughts about that, except I feel like vaguely anxious, as if it's that's not enough. The leaves that get everywhere make me think of slipping and hurting myself, and the darkness makes me worry. I will slip and hurt myself on the leafy ground and go unseen, because everyone else is indoors, safe with their curtains closed against the darkness, which has swallowed me up, and after a while, even the streetlights go out, because in my imagination they are activated by motion, and I just lie there. But I like to imagine I'd be brave while lying there, if I'm not knocked out. The rain threatened all day but never came, which is just typical of autumn. I walked home, catching up with my phone, but stepping very carefully between the leaves, because there's no point being careless if you have the energy to be careful. You have to take care of yourself. The clouds looked heavy and did nothing with their rain while the leaves hung on the city trees by their edges. It was like they were waiting until night came properly before doubt, before letting go and making the pavement even more treacherous. But beautiful too, I suppose, in their jaggy layers. There's always something beautiful going on, which I should try to notice and remember. This time the voice came while I was eating my dinner and watching a let's play of a kingdom building game. I knew the voice wasn't from that, because I'd heard all the sounds of that game, which were mostly upbeat bleeps and the voice of the Let's Player, which was Canadian and silly. The voice, the strange old voice, spoke to me this time with a bit more neediness, I think, and it kept on going. But I didn't say anything, because what could I say? Saying something would be acknowledging it was there, and I was trying to believe it was just a fluke of sounds from harmless places, the thin walls, some devices malfunctioning and holding on to the fact, I thought, that it wasn't me malfunctioning. Though how would I know? The voice rambled on, raspy and dry and a little bit wobbly. I could hear some emotion other than need, like he needed to know I was listening, but also that the story he was telling was something that was painful to him and important. I could have got more of what he was saying if I listened closer, but I didn't want to do that. What could I do? I went to bed and put my headphones in. Eventually the voice, which never got any louder, started to hesitate and then stopped. When I woke up the next day, I remembered it was a Saturday. I was nervous about staying all day in my flat, with that voice potentially coming back at any moment. But I also didn't want to change my plans for what was possibly a kind of hallucination on my part. So I stayed in and made French toast. Anyway, it was raining, properly lashing it down, like God was angry with pavements and streets and was trying to pummel them back into muddy ground again. I ate the French toast with ketchup and looked at my phone at a few videos of Hearthstone, which, if you don't know, is a card-based computer game that's free to play and has a bit of a look of pinball machine to it, only with magical cards. i just had a shower, it was 4pm, when I walked into my bedroom and saw a man in the mirrored sliding door. He was looking away. You do not know how disconcerting it is to see the back of someone's head in the mirror, right where you're standing. You can never see the back of your own head facing a mirror like that, and to see somebody else's is sickening. I think I shouted, because the man in the mirror seemed to flinch, 
and then he turned round. My first and strongest thought was that I should run away, but I just stood and stared at the man there. He had a thin, skeletal face, but ruddy in the cheeks, like someone who'd worked outside a lot and was healthy, but didn't have much food to eat. He had fine, thin hair that lay on the top of his head in sharp points. It was the kind of grey hair people are born with. I don't know a name for the colour, but it's common enough. I remember his fingers going up to his head to straighten the hair in place as he looked at me. He had deeply set eyes, pale back there in his skull. He moved like no one else I've ever seen. It must have been his lack of body fat. He sort of slink-stepped close to the glass and put his hand up to that. There was sky, grey clouds behind him like he was standing on the top of a hill. I started to shudder as I was breathing, quick and shallow breaths, and my whole body trembling. Nullet temere, he said. He said it a few times over the course of the night, and later I looked it up. It means do not be afraid in Latin. But I nearly started wailing. Maybe I did, I don't remember. Maybe I barked like a dog. I'd known before he spoke that he was the owner of the voice I'd been hearing, but it didn't make it any less terrifying and upsetting to have that proved true. I was either mad, or I wasn't mad, and both options were fucking awful. I backed out of the room and slammed the door behind me. I went to the kitchen and downed a glass of very acidic orange juice and splashed water on my face. I went to the toilet and had a long piss and washed up and brushed my teeth. I went back to the room, because it was my room, and I hoped he would have gone. But of course he was still there, staring out at me from his thin face that had the cheek to look concerned. Eventually, since nothing was going to stop any of this from happening to me, I got myself together and put on some kind of unified front. Uh, Who are you? I asked. What's your name? I pointed to my chest and said my name. And you? Name? Uh, No men, he said. I nodded. He said his name, but it was an old one, and I didn't know it, and I couldn't repeat it if I tried. Mal something? Not Malcolm, but close. I might know it again if somebody said it out loud, but I don't think that's likely to happen. I'm giving this as kind of evidence that I didn't hallucinate him, because if I had, I probably would have made up a name I couldn't, could remember. Even my subconscious would have. I'm not that creative. And I know a lot of names, generally, from all kinds of eras of history, and I've read a lot of fancy books. But I didn't know his. So I didn't really catch it, and I don't remember it now. What are you doing in my mirror? I asked him. He looked around and held out his hands. I noticed the fingers were long. I thought that was surprising, because if he was from some time way back in the Dark Ages, he probably would have been considered very tall. He was even a little taller than I am, and I'm average for nowadays, with all the food and vitamins and modern medicines we have. Okay, I tried. What are you doing here? Why do you keep coming here? Do you know where you are? You're in my house, in my bedroom. I didn't want to say, that's pretty rude of you, but my tone probably implied it. I put my hands on my hips, but took them off right away, just as he was in my house. Didn't mean I had to be a knob. And technically, he wasn't in my bedroom. He was in the mirror, or the place that could be seen through my mirror, with heavy clouds moving quickly like the ridge of a hill. He took a small, shuddery breath in, just like one of my breaths from earlier, and began his story. It was in a mixture of Scots, 
and some Latin. And I made him stop a bit so I could press record on my phone. Later I played it back and worked out what he had said, which took a long time. He told me that he was the only man left alive in his village. He tried to describe where his village was, but I didn't recognise it from the names of the hills he mentioned. He did say it was half a day's walk from the sea, and that doesn't cut much out in this country. You're never more than four, about 40 miles from the sea in Scotland. A plague had come and made everyone ill, but him, over a period of a few weeks. And then everyone started dying. He talked a lot about bodies, how they'd stacked up everywhere in the huts, and he couldn't keep up with burying, but he tried his best. He mentioned God a lot. That was a word I recognised when he spoke, Deus. I nodded when I heard it. He said it with a lot of pain. He said he went into every house, and the death was inside each one, standing over the bodies with her long, soft wings. Yes, just like that he said it, and I shivered when I worked out the translation. He talked about the grain rotting in the field. He'd been trying to get it all in for all winter. He said his hands bled from effort, and he hoped that I would believe him that they bled from effort, and not think he had just given himself an easy life. He mentioned a flour mill, and said he had gone there with the grain piled up on the laird's horse. I don't know who the laird was. But there was no one attending the mill, and he had tried to grind the grain, but didn't do a good job of it. So he went home, and he ran out of hope, he said, and had no one left to bury but everyone left to cry for. And nothing much else to do these days except feel his heart's pains and put what food away for the winter that he could. He decided to live in the laird's house because it was off from the village and had had the least visits from death, even though, he said, it was a sin to take the laird's place. He sighed and shuddered a lot here, so clearly it worried him what he'd done. He wanted to reassure me that he didn't have ideas about his station in life, suddenly being raised up above what was natural, he said he had learned to read from a brief stay with some monks as a boy. Here I was a bit confused. Something to do with almost becoming a young monk, but his father needed him and pulled him out, and it had caused some bother. But he was his father's only child, or had become his only child, so they let him go. It had broken his heart, because he'd loved learning, and the monastery life was not supposed to be something you just left. He felt it was his sins that had led him out of the path to knowledge, he said, though he was just a boy then, and his sins were any small ones. His father had had to pay something for taking out, sheaves of oats, I think, for some years. He'd wondered if leaving the monastery was the reason the angel of death hadn't come from him, as if it was a kind of curse, and he wanted to find out. In the laird's house there was a library of books, and he spent some time reading, which he'd never before been able to do. He built a fire up every night, but made sure to replace the wood every day, in case someone came and threw him out. But no one came. He stayed up late in the evenings and read lots of the laird's Latin books, and there was a Greek one that interested him but gave him some trouble until he found an alphabet for it in the children's room upstairs. The children were dead too, he said. Everyone was dead. So in the empty house he taught himself Greek and how to read better. He wanted me to know that he used his time well and wasn't idle, he found nothing that said it was a sin to be taken out of a monastery, so he thought perhaps when the plague would pass and people returned, he might make another attempt to enter the monastery with his new learning and make his life a kind of careful atonement for his sins, his other sins in life, though he couldn't think exactly what they were, perhaps sins of the mind. 
He was someone who thought a lot, it seemed. But then he'd had lots of time to think about things. I don't think I would have known what to do in that situation if everybody around me died. Possibly I wouldn't know until I needed to go to the shops for something. I'd be fine until the food in the shops spoiled and the electricity went out. Then I'd be in some trouble. But this man kept himself going, he said, for a whole turn of the seasons, a year, all alone with nobody coming. Could I have gone on too, like he had? Realistically, I would have just died of starvation quite quickly because I can't support myself in any practical way. When I was writing out what he'd said after the mirror had gone back to normal, I wished I could have asked him questions in real time. I wanted to know if he had a wife. I wasn't clear on how a peasant like him, with no more than a few months' education, could teach himself a whole other language. I wanted to tell him I was impressed by that. I wanted to tell him too that I was sorry he was so alone in this world. Loneliness is a terrible thing, wherever you are. I think it's a stronger force than love, because it's a kind of love for everyone that's never returned. In that way, maybe it's not so terrible, but a kind of burning power that might give you something back, if you have it in you, beaming out. I'm not the kind of person to run away with conspiracy theories, but I can't help but feel like the reason he could see me across the years like that, and really improbably, was because of the force of his loneliness, making a portal or something. I don't know why you should connect with me out of anyone in existence ever, I'm not very interesting or powerful in my day-to-day life or in my imagination. I'd be the last to get picked for a special mission to save the Earth and the first to die in a magical world, a random casualty trampled by a beast or army. I know that much. But I keep going. And now I keep going knowing that he came to me. Maybe everyone has a visit from a lonely person from the past through their mirrors. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd like the world a bit better if that was the case. After he'd finished speaking, I went up to the mirror and tried to push through it, but that didn't work. He also tried, but gave up and shook his head. And I remembered it was a good thing I couldn't go in, because I'd read that the microbes I have on my skin have evolved a lot since the microbes on his skin were in existence, meaning that I might be a source of disease myself if I ever came into contact with him, and probably the other way around too. But who knows how it works? Maybe the mirror would have cleansed me or covered me with a protective layer like a spacesuit. But I couldn't get through and he couldn't get through. I sat down and he did too. The wind on his side ruffled his fine hair and he pulled his woolen clothing close around him. I knew he couldn't sit there forever. I thought I could. I had such a funny feeling in my heart, even then... And I hadn't known everything he'd said. I'd nursed that feeling, and I looked at him for a long time, saying nothing. He looked back at me. I wondered what he was looking into. Mirrors weren't very common in the Dark Ages, or whenever there were peasants around. I guess maybe it was the glass window of the laird's house. I went and got a piece of printer paper and scribbled out my idea of his setup. A big house with him sitting on the grass outside it. He shook his head and made some shapes in the air, jagged. I think he meant the glass was in a big piece lying against something. A tree, maybe? I wondered how he got the idea to look in the glass. I wondered a lot of things just sitting there, looking at him, my bed behind me. 
I wanted to invite him through into my house and put him up. He could have the bed. I'd have done anything for him. That face of his, it was a good face. Honest and thin. Lots of cares written on it. I stared for so long, sometimes smiling and raising my hand, like an idiot, really. But I didn't know what else to do. Eventually it started getting dark on his side. I turned and saw from my window that it was getting dark here too. The light faded and he faded and I couldn't see him anymore. I cried out, just something pointless like, Hey, I can't see you anymore. And he said something back, calmer than me. I didn't get a chance to record it. I don't usually get gut feelings about much, but I felt certain I wouldn't see him again, or at least not for a long time. His face comes back to me in waves. I see it, kind and wanting. I wonder what he thought about my face, if he liked it. I must have looked strange to him, soft and unfamiliar. But I hope he thinks that for all that, that it was a good face too. And that my company was good for him, after so much time alone.